Well, thanks. It's great to be here today and to uh, close out your series uh, on the book of uh, Proverbs. It's a great book. I've been looking forward uh, for weeks because we set this up in the spring to uh, be with you. Uh, I've had a wonderful time to prepare and to pray uh, for this series. And before I preach, let me just um, bring you a word of greeting from the 102 congregations of the East Coast Conference. Cornerstone is a part of a diverse network of congregations from Virginia Beach, Virginia, to New Sweden, Maine, 102 congregations of every stripe, every flavor, every space, every ethnicity, of all diversity, young churches, historic churches, city churches, country churches, suburban churches, centered in one reality, that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And it's been my privilege to serve as superintendent now. I'm finishing up my 12th year as superintendent by the grace of God and the good humor of my wife. Um, and uh, it's marvelous to see what God continues to do uh, across the East Coast Conference and, of course, across the ECC, the denomination. We're about 900 congregations across North America, and we're engaged in 40 countries in the work of God's kingdom 24-7, 365. And today, right here in Boston, I get the joy and the privilege to be with you uh, to close out this series uh, on the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, as an entire book, is reflective of many things. One of them is this, that for God and his people Israel, life is intended to be reflected upon thoughtfully. A life without reflection is hardly worth living. There is so much to learn in life, so much to reflect on in the presence of God, in the light of his countenance. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And the wisdom of Proverbs, uh, as one of the uh, wisdom uh, gifts uh, to Israel and to the church, is the fruit of that, that a life that is reflected upon is a life that can be significant. And so Solomon and the other contributors to uh, the book of Proverbs share with us the, the distillation of life lived and life reflected upon. And uh, I got given one of the biggest topics in all the wisdom literature of Proverbs, and that is for us to reflect on the power of speech or our words. Words is a macro theme in the book of Proverbs. Uh, you can hop, skip, and jump all across all 31 chapters and find that there's a lot of reflection on the significance of what we say and its impact. And so I'm just going to touch base on one dimension of it, but the rest of the book is yours to continue to be a resource to reflect on throughout life, and particularly as you experience the power of conversation, both for good and sometimes for not so good. But before I preach, join me in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the living word, the faithful and true word, who brings a message about the reality of the Father and his grace towards us. Oh, today, as we reflect upon the power of our words, 
we pray that the grace of your Holy Spirit would comfort us, encourage us, and convict us, right, and bring us right where we need to be in the hands of our Savior who loves us and laid down his life for us. We give you this space in our minds, in our hearts, and in this room, and we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you who are the advocate and the comforter would bring us into the presence of the Father in the fullness of the Son, and there do gospel work in our lives as we listen to your word, and then as we come to the table of your Son. For it's in his name we pray, amen. Proverbs 12 and verse 14 and then verse 18 sets up this marvelous challenge about the power of speech and the significance of our words. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. As a child, I learned to protect myself with a nursery rhyme from those inevitable wounds that came on the playground of life. You might have committed this to memory as well. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me. That came from 1862, and it came from a publication called The Christian Recorder, and there it was referenced as an old adage. So another ancient truism that's just full of baloney, but we learned it to try to put an armor over our spirit when words were hurled at us and they became weaponized. You know this from your own experience, and we hear it from the scriptures as well. Words are powerful. God created the universe by hurling words to the lips of the Son of God. Let there be light, and there was light. Words are powerful. They penetrate the darkness. They drive home their force for good or for ill, for healing and for hurting. Words launch universes into existence and set up narratives, and they continue to shape worlds and hearts and homes and our imaginations. Words in every language, words of speech and words of art and words of imagination, words that are just thoughts are full of power. Words can be a weapon and the tongue a very short sword leaves a trail of blood and tears in their wake. You know, for a four-inch muscle in between your teeth, that thing can cut a person to ribbons and can end a life. Words can be weapons. It's amazing to me, in our day and age, we, we debate, and yes, we should, about gun control. We're very concerned about the potential that exists to devastate lives through a very small device that we conceal and carry in a pocket, and yes, we should be. But long before guns were ever created, there was a need for a control of a devastating weapon, one that is already concealed and carried behind our lips, the matter of our tongue. 
I mean, I have met people who are ready to shoot their mouth off without a moment's notice, without the slightest provocation. And all of us, at one time or another, would have to admit we lack tongue control, right? We can't holster that thing often enough, and it creates great pain when it is unleashed. Think freely and think under the comfort and conviction of the Holy Spirit. What's the caliber of your speech? Not just in church, but in the street. Not just when you're happy, but when you're angry. Not just when all is well, but when all is wrong. What's the caliber of your speech? What's locked and loaded in the magazine of your heart that when a hair trigger comes along, a missile fires forth and a person is wounded? Words have the power of life, said the ancients of Israel. They can give life and they can take life and they do it every day. We can kill one another with kindness but we can slaughter one another with cruelty. Bullying has become such a profound issue and awareness of its impact for children, for youth, and for adults. So it should be. Words kill. I overheard a conversation between some women who went to our church several weeks ago. They didn't know I was listening Sorry. (laughs) They were discussing a difficult season in the life of our church and uh, a certain family that had gone through great, great difficulty and was no longer in the congregation as a part of that. And one woman said, as if she was an authority, well, you know, the pastors never cared about that family. The other women listened. No one objected conversation went on. I thought for a moment, without understanding what she was doing, the sister who offered that perspective slaughtered the pastors of the church. Murder was committed in that conversation because others took that word as if it was gospel truth, unchallenged, uncontested, and went away believing that what was probably true about the pastors of that church is that they really don't care about people in pain. Words can kill, and they often do. What have been the most devastating words you've ever heard? Think about that for a minute. The most devastating words you've ever heard. They might have come from a near relative, might have come from a parent, probably a sibling, right? Maybe a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse. If you're old enough, it might have been from a child who had something to say to you. Devastating words. They, they take up residence within us. Words have a way of having a long memory when they're painful words, when they're wounding words, when they're destructive words, we, 
we take them in the ear and we bring them out the mouth and they have a shelf life that is amazing. Words can kill. So Proverbs has a lot to say about the significance of our words. Words are powerful. Words can be a weapon. And neutrally, words are tools, sharp tools. They have the capacity to be used to accomplish much. And depending on how we wield them and how we guide them is whether they're used for good or used for destruction. They can, as the wisdom writer says, be reckless like a sword cutting us to ribbons or skillful like a scalpel to bring healing to the wounded. But either way, they're sharp. In all cases, words will cut. And therefore, we are warned to be most careful. And if we're wise, most sparing in their use. I remember as a young boy, a couple of years of debating with my dad about how old I had to be to be allowed to carry a pocket knife with me. That was a big deal. I think I was probably 11 or 12 before my dad thought I could be entrusted with a simple pocket knife with a blade that could open up maybe just a two-incher, enough for kind of whittling a stick or anything, but there was concern that just a two-inch blade was a significant Entrustment that I could do good with it, but I could also do harm with it. And there was a justified question about whether I understood the power that was in my pocket with a two-inch blade. But do we not know every day how much sharper this is that comes between our teeth? Its capacity to do good or to do ill For other people to get the point, and the question is, is the point a good point or a point destructive? Elsewhere in Proverbs, in the sixth chapter, uh, a statement, a phrase comes out, verses 16 to 19, there are six things the Lord hates, even seven that are detestable to him, and notice how many of these have to do with the tongue. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up dissension in the community. Of the seven things that are most uh, detestable to God, the majority of them are ignited by words that come from our mouth. Thoughts turn into words, words turn into deeds, and so often destruction is the result. And I would say with absolute conviction out of my 31 years as a pastor, my 58 years as a person on the planet, every one of us has been wounded by words sometime in our lives. And because I'm also a pastor and as old as I am, I'll bet all of us has probably inflicted wounds on someone with our words. Without a lot of calculation, without a lot of planning, but just in the banter of everyday living, we unsheath our tongue 
and we cut one another with words. The wisdom of Israel, living in covenant with the God who reveals himself through Moses and the people of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, calling his people to reflect on their life together, says, friends, think about the power of your words. Think how God-like you are to be given the capacity of speech, the clarity with which you can impart story to one another and tell a narrative that's life-giving and life-shaping or life-destroying and life-undoing. God, who creates us as women and men in his likeness and in his image, calls us to use our speech after God's own likeness, after God's own image. And God speaks, but God never lies. God always speaks with care, with conviction. Sometimes God's words will cut, but they will cut always for the work of a surgeon and never the word of a soldier. God does not destroy, but God calls into being and creates. James, in the New Testament, will reflect back on the wisdom of Proverbs when he writes in James 3, verses 2 and following, this truth. This is our confession together. We all stumble in many ways. Those who are never at fault in what they say are perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James says, hey, of all the powers that are at our disposal in our life, the most difficult thing to bring into control, into continuous alignment, is our tongue. In fact, if we could perfect that, we'd be perfect. And none of us has done that yet. It's so difficult. It's so profound. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, James goes on, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship as an example, Though they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue, such a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. Oh, the tongue. The tongue also is a fire. Notice notice what he says, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Whoa, James has a pretty pessimistic view about this thing in our mouth. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by human beings, but here's his despair. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I I think James has been spending time reading the book of Proverbs and distilling out all the pessimism and the caution and concern that is in the ancient wisdom about this thing, the tongue and the words that it creates. See, here's what we come to know as followers of Jesus. There is no potential to tame the tongue 
apart from the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who gives us a new heart, a new mind, a new identity by the infusion of the Holy Spirit. And unless that process is underway in our lives, all we ever do is put a harness on our tongue to try to control the evil that is so present, but we always fall short. We will never tame the tongue if we do not transform the heart. For words are only a symptom, and the tongue is always a puppet. It's enslaved to the heart. The center of who we are, our personality, where our will, our strong desires, our affections, our commitments join together to control our very lives. The heart, as the Bible describes it, is enslaved to ourself and to the world, apart from the transforming grace and power of Jesus Christ. So if you're troubled that words that come so easily to heart and mind and often tumble across your lips to do uh, damage with others, the real issue is not tongue control, but self-surrender to Jesus Christ. And even then, it is so difficult for us to yield our tongue and our heart to the fullness of grace through the presence of Jesus. So Jesus, when he came and taught, said to his disciples in Matthew 12, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. And he says to the religious leaders then, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, that's our problem. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we don't know what's in our heart until all of a sudden we find it's been vomited onto someone else and we realize, oh my, I didn't recognize, I didn't want to own what was residing in me and now it's come forward and now I have to deal with it both socially with others but also reflectively with myself. Jesus says good people bring good things out of the good stored up in them, and evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in them. But I tell you that people will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Did we not know how important it is that we pray for God's grace to govern our speech? Do we not know that we will give an account for every word? Oh my. (laughs) Every word? Yes, every word. God considers words so important that not just every deed, but every word is called to account from us. And Jesus says, in fact, the very measure you use with others, well, that's the measure I'm going to use with you. By your words, you will be condemned. God doesn't need to bring anything external to bear to judge our lives. He simply says, what have you said? And let that be the standard for you. 
Years ago, I was doing a study in the life of David, and I came upon the text in 2 Samuel where David has committed uh, multiple sins as king. He has taken Uriah's wife to himself and committed adultery. Worse, he's doubled down and covered up on that and had him killed in battle, murder by proxy, and God knew. God sent Nathan the prophet to him and in the side, and and Nathan told him a story that hooked David uh, into the the terror of what he'd done in a blind, and and David, when he hears the story of this uh, poor little shepherd who has but one lamb, and the big rich landowner took that lamb and and used it to serve his friends at a feast uh, with no thought for this uh, poor man and his lamb that his kids called pet and devastation. David, in his own unrighteous, righteous indignation, declared a sentence. The man who is responsible for this shall pay four times for the lamb he has stolen. Sounded incredibly righteous. The next narratives, without calling it out, announced to us the devastation and the death of four of David's children. David's own sentence, cast out of an unrighteous heart towards others, was the very sentence that then was yielded to bring him to account and to humility. Wow! Words are powerful. And the words we send out of our mouths will come back to us. They surely do. For Proverbs 12 and verse 14 says it this way. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things. And the work of their hands brings them reward. Wow. If you took that out of context, you could almost make a false theology out of that. But don't do that. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things. And the work of their hands brings them reward. In Proverbs... Words are seen as fruit or productivity of our lives. They're mysteriously a a form of nutrition. Uh, We all have to eat our own words, the writer to Proverbs says. And I hope you enjoy what you have to eat. Because you have to eat what you speak. And if it's crow, enjoy it all the way down. What we say not only goes outward, says the wisdom of Proverbs, but inward. Every word out, we also consume. And whatever it's intended to accomplish, destruction or healing, comes back to visit us in spades. Proverbs 18, verse 20. From the fruit of their mouths, people's stomachs are filled. With the harvest of their lips... They are satisfied. It's amazingly neutral in the way in which it unfolds. It can be used for good. It can be used for groaning. So think with me for a moment this morning. What are you saying? What are you spraying? Words can be sweet. Words can be bitter. Words can be salty. Words can be sour. Words can bring life and fertility 
For words are fruit that come from a root. They come from the heart, from the center of our will and our affection and our identity. God has eternally disciplined himself to use his words to call forth life and to celebrate love. God uses words to establish relationships and to call us into the truth, to bless us and to build us up. God always speaks truth and God can never lie. So Proverbs 18:21, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. That works no matter what you use it for. It's a boomerang. Your words will come back to you. They will take up residence in you and you will become your words. So be careful and be thoughtful for the tongue has the power to give life and the tongue has the power to breed death. I mean, men, you think the most powerful tool you have is below your belt, and you're wrong. It's this four-inch muscle in your mouth. Use it to give life. Do not use it to give death. So the writer might ask us to ponder, is our speech nutritious? Or is it noxious? And in this day and age, speech is not just what we say, but it's also what we write. And in this day and age, that's no longer pencil and paper, but it's social media. We tweet our way into life and death. And who knew when that was created what it would spawn in the universe? Social media, so much of it has a potential to be used for good, but so much of it is used to tear down. Disembodied, depersonalized, removed from interpersonal interaction, it's a sewer of mindless, thoughtless, disembodied blame, flame, and shame. Oh my, oh my, be careful. In, in this day and age, I can, I can pull this out of my pocket and I can broadcast to billions without ever praying about what I say. And then it lives eternally and takes up life beyond anything I could ask or imagine. Oh, David prayed long ago, Lord, put, put a watch over my lips that I might not sin against you. We have to say, oh, Lord, <laughs> put a watch just over my finger lest I launch a war of words in the Twitterverse. I think several years ago of a tragic story of a pastor of a very large, very influential church out west who, who was uh, uncovered of having lived a double life in the pulpit. He was a, a very sharp, prophetic uh, preacher and teacher, gathered thousands in his congregation. But he had established another life, a persona, 
removed from him in social media where he was devastating people through his remarks. And those marks came back to roost and undid his ministry and devastated his congregation. That happens. Happens to all of us. We never keep separate those realities for long. Whatever is at the center of our heart reveals our disposition towards God and therefore towards others, either to self-centeredness and rebellion against God or to Christ-centeredness and therefore life-giving relationship with God. That's what Jesus was talking about. Either make it bad or make it good. Either live out your rebellion and let it just show itself as devastation, evil from root to fruit, or determine to let Christ make you good. Not just on the outside, but from the very center, from the very root, and from there will emanate goodness, and the fruit of it will come in your lips and in your lives. For by their fruit, Jesus said, you will recognize them. I know I'm on a tender topic, for all of us fall short in our speech. The speech that comes across our lips and much of it that just generates in our thoughts and is just right there. And we might choke it back, but we are aware of the conversations of cruelty that set up shop in our hearts and our minds. And it's true for all of us. I think of Isaiah the prophet who admits in the sixth chapter of his story that in a time of national crisis in the year in which the king died, uh, Isaiah was, uh, was in the throne, uh, before the throne of God in the temple praying and he had this life-changing vision of the holiness and majesty of God descending into the temple. And, and in this experience, Isaiah is drawn into this amazing, uh, life-changing encounter and the first conviction that comes to him in the midst of this is this, oh no, he says, oh, oh no. I am a man with a potty mouth. I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And yet my eyes have beheld the glory of God. And what Isaiah is saying is, I am about to be snuffed out because of what comes across my lips. And it's not just true for me, it's true for all of us. It is the easiest, most common indicator of a heart that needs to be transformed by the gracious presence of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's true for all of us. If any of us learns to control our tongue, congratulations, you've arrived at perfection. How wonderful for you. But for those of us who haven't come to that place yet, who recognize that we're a work in progress, that we're in the process of having our words transformed, but it's not a straightforward reality, and we slip and fall all the time. We need Jesus to stand in our place. We need Christ to 
be at the center of our lives, doing that amazing work of transforming grace, turning us from bad to good by his goodness and presence, moving the root out of self-centeredness into God-centeredness, and from there, bringing us into the possibility that our speech, our thoughts, and our affections might become instruments to give life, not instruments to take it. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, reflecting on this reality in chapter 4 and verse 25, encourages us this way. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body, And then verse 29, so don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You and I have been given tremendous power in this world, scary power power to give life. Your tongue is an instrument God gave you for good. So brothers and sisters, use it for good. Let your speech be patterned around what builds others up, not what tears them down. Let your words be true, but let them also be sweet. Salt them just a little bit where necessary to bring out flavor, but always be sparing with your words. Let your words first be taken through the cleaning work of prayer, that having prayed through what you might say to a sister or a brother, you then are prepared in humility to offer words of comfort, words of counsel, words of correction, even words of rebuke. And where you find yourself falling short, bring your burden to Jesus, who knows, who takes up residence in you, and who today invites us to come to the table set for us, that we who are sinners might receive mercy and grace to help us in our hour of need. And brothers and sisters, is it no accident? Is it not prophetic design that the sacrament that sustains us in our journey with Jesus goes right here, right where it's most needed, on our tongues and there inwardly to the heart to remind us that God will never leave us or forsake us, but journey with us until that day where both heart and tongue are fully yielded to the work of grace and to the glory of God. Francis Habergal wrote a hymn that the church has sung for decades, Take My Life and Let It Be, Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. 
Here's a verse for us in prayer this week as we close. Take my voice and let me sing always, only for my king. And take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee, filled with messages from thee. Amen and amen. May God bless you, Cornerstone, this day and as you continue to walk with Christ.